From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Monique Aiken, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, November 17th. Today, we'll share an excerpt from the new podcast, Impact Ed, launched this week by Impact Alpha's friends, Eric Horvath and Lucas Turner-Owens, who introduced listeners to Impact Career Paths and Professional Journeys. Eric and Lucas spoke with Pension Fund Executives Tara Mae Smith and Marcella Pinilla about creating change from the inside and their journey as women of color investment professionals. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in impact investing. Interest rate whiplash is challenging impact investors, along with everyone else. First, we had a historic increase in the U.S. money supply, followed by the fastest decline ever. The realities of high interest rates and lower liquidity are settling in. Impact lenders are being squeezed, and startup valuations have fallen across the board. To kick off his new macro impact column, Impact Alpha contributing editor Robert Brown assesses today's unique set of economic circumstances. Applying a gender lens can boost the effectiveness of climate investments. That was the key takeaway of this week's Agent of Impact call that featured three fund managers investing at the intersection of climate and gender. Supply Change Capital, AIM, and MCE Social Capital are all part of the portfolio of Heading for Change, the legacy project of gender lens pioneer Suzanne Beagle and her husband, Daniel Maskett. You can find a link to the replay and roundup, as well as to Impact Alpha's new database of climate and gender funds on the website. And JFF Ventures is spinning out from the nonprofit Jobs for the Future. And the for-profit investment fund has deployed nearly $30 million in dozens of companies, including Care Academy, Factory Fix, and Charger Help. JFF Ventures is raising a $50 million second fund and will remain wholly owned by Jobs for the Future and draw on the nonprofit's extensive resources. And finally, Impact Alpha presented the ownership pyramid. That's a framework for thinking about how ownership of assets like homes, savings accounts, and even employee stakes in companies can reduce racial wealth gaps. In a guest post, Smith Adas of World Education Services and Santos Ramdas of Gary Community Ventures argue that, quote, we are on the cusp of catalyzing an ownership movement. For example, the Deerfield Fund for Black Wealth offers Black and African-American first-time homebuyers access to no-interest down payment funds. Homeowners repay the amount plus 5% of the home's appreciation upon selling or refinancing. Now it's time for a featured conversation. Today we're going to hear from Impacted, a new podcast from Eric Horvath and Lucas Turner-Owens. Today we're going to talk about uh, some of the biggest pools of capital that are out there that both of you are uh, attached to, work for, advise on, and talk about pension funds. Um, and you know, just to kick us off, just what is your current affiliation to a pension fund um, and how did you get involved with it? So I'm Tara Mae Smith. I'm the ESG integration officer at New York City's Retirement Systems. Um, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit more, but uh, we have five retirement systems that the Bureau of Asset Management and the Office of New York City Comptroller is, is the dedicated investment advisor for and also the custodian. And the Comptroller himself serves as a trustee along with others. So uh, that's sort of my position. Um, I think... I'm going to start with the way I, I thought about pensions. I was thinking about the Roman Empire. Um, just kidding. Uh, but I have heard a lot of male historians of pensions talk about the beginning of pensions as the Roman Empire, which, you know, of course, 
would not, I'm sure the Roman Empire did have pensions, but many cultures have pensions. Uh, and so I think if we think of some of the uh, Chinese scholars, we'll think of like Confucian era or like the birth of Taoism, a lot of that stability and ability to think and, and uh, be a philosopher came from these pensions, these government pensions, and and the stability that came with that. So just like doing this great government service and then being able to have the time to retire with dignity and, and time to really sort of explore other, other parts of yourself. And so I'm happy to be part of that legacy. And I also just want to say that I actually, before um, I even was thinking about finance, came to pensions as a way to know my ancestors. So uh, beyond sort of this uh, Chinese story and, and my grandfather, my mother's side was a Chinese immigrant and we were able to achieve financial stability through a pension. And on my father's side, uh, of multiracial background from before the Revolutionary War and kind of bearing witness to different ancestors, some that are, they're all sort of involved in the Revolutionary War and some are able to receive pensions because of their identity and some are not. Um, based on a racial identity. And and then in terms of being able to know my grandmothers, uh, women aren't listed in the U.S. Census until 1850 by name. And so it's really hard to know uh, who your grandmothers are. Um, and so pensions are a way to know that. Uh, so in 1836, the U.S. government passed the law that allowed widows of Revolutionary War soldiers to receive pensions. And that's the way I'm able to name some of my grandmothers. So I think that's like a way... Um, one thing I love about pensions is sort of like it's this long promise and this long time scale of thinking of sustainable investing and value creation. And so I sort of see myself in that arc uh, as a person. And then I think professionally is the culmination of so many things I've done before that bring to bear sort of these pipes of the financial system across the asset classes of a, a shareholder that's uh, for worker beneficiaries. Um, that is linked to a place or municipality and the ability for a place to operate, um, a way to give our sanitation workers and our teachers and our firefighters and our police officers a way to have a secure uh, retirement and a way for them to feel that they can do their job in a great way uh, with security. And so I think all of that is one of the reasons I'm really excited to be working in pensions. Yeah, and Marcella, I, uh, you know, Tara May, I, I appreciate you bringing a lot of your identity and your heritage into this, into this chat. I didn't know that about you. We've we've been in school together for for years, and you never told me that. But I'm glad to know it now. I mean, Marcella, I kind of see you uh, a little a lot, you know, see you, you know, woken up a little bit. Is there anything that you want to add to? I don't know where you're coming from, your identity, how that's like brought you to this work, and yeah, anything. Yeah, I was I was going. Like, wow, Tara May, when you were sharing that. Yeah, it, it does immediately make me think about, you know, my my identity as a Latina. Ever since I entered this space about 15 years ago, the sustainable investing space, it, it's inevitable that your personal pursuits and interests are going to shine through uh, the work you do. And that's that's one of the reasons I, I love this job. Kind of growing up in this industry, I didn't have really that. I didn't even have, uh, like I didn't drive forward with my Latina identity. I just was kind of, oh, I work in the financial industry. And over time I was able to come into, well, wait, I, I, I want, I have this position of privilege. I want to speak for the, all the Latinos who, 
live here in the U.S. and speak up for them. And that's what I do in my advocacy. So it's channeled through. And, and, and Tara Mae, how you found your ancestors is it's such a beautiful story. What what I am full of hope for, for my role as a committee member of the, the Mass uh, Prim Board is to also channel that voice through the stakeholders. And like I mentioned, we the, the Mass Prim uh, Pension Fund manages money for its beneficiaries who are teachers and state employees who many of them are people of color and what are their needs. So we're trying to engage them as stakeholders as well. Tara May, just want to kind of come back to New York a little bit. Um, maybe how, how big is the pension fund system in New York? You mentioned there are five of them. And is anything that you can share, you know, your job as an ESG integration officer? Um, what's something interesting that the pension fund system's thinking about as it relates to ESG, um, integration, screening, active ownership, anything like that? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, in total, we have, as of la- the end of our last fiscal year, which is June 30th, 2023, we have $253 billion of assets under management. And so that, that puts us about um, a quarter of a percent of all the global assets under management. So I think that's a pretty great lever that's aligned with workers, right? So I have a fiduciary duty to our about 750,000 beneficiaries that are workers, workers for the city. And so these shareholders are the owners of these assets. That's about a quarter of the global assets under management. So that's an important alignment when we think about the actual industry, right? So uh, if we think about New York City workers, about 82% of New York City employees are either, are considered quote diverse, which means they're women or people of color, right? So now, now let's think about what the asset management industry looks like. 2% of investment manager ownership reflects that demographic. So that's that's a pretty big mismatch, right? And so you can imagine that with that comes a lot of blind spots and thinking about systemic risk, like what Marcella was talking about, of like thinking about what are some of the uh, risks and the investment process and value creation to these communities. And so we see uh, income inequality uh, with the racial wealth gap or uh, gender pay gaps as a systemic risk that we can't diversify away. And therefore we need engagement. And that's sort of where one of Marcelo's role will come in is we work with external asset managers to manage our assets for us. And we wanna see their stewardship and their process of integrating uh, and considering these systemic risks into their investment process. And we want those their viewpoint to be aligned with uh, the well-being of our beneficiaries. We want to make sure that those those two things are aligned. So, with that, we have uh, an investment policy statement. So each system has their own investment policy statement, outlining how they want to deal with these systemic risks and and what they want to see from their external asset managers. So all of our systems, for example, have a responsible contractor policy. So we want to make sure that. All of our managers are upholding freedom of association. We want to make sure they're upholding uh, workers' rights, human rights. Uh, And then separately in our public assets, uh, each system has their own uh, corporate governance policy. And so that will talk about the principles by which they will engage public corporations to think about that uh, systemic risk. So, for example, uh, after the murder of George Floyd, uh, in the S&P 100, only uh, 14 companies had disclosed their EO1 data, right? 
And so the New York City retirement systems put in shareholder proposals and engage with companies in the S&P 100 asking them to disclose their EO1 data. And three years later, uh, 95 of those companies now are, are publicly releasing it. So that's an incredible example of how the pension funds in alignment with our uh, beneficiaries can help change the financial system. Thanks for that, Tara May. And uh, just for the, the audience, Marcella, maybe we're going to ask you if you can define EEO1 data for us. It's really important in this space. And and after that, just curious if you want to add in anything else. Um, uh, ESG-wise that you're excited about that MassPrim's thinking about or working on? So let me go back a little bit in time. 15 years ago, the notion of including sexual orientation or gender identity in non-discrimination policies, employment non-discrimination policies was uh, the exception. It was not something widely done. Through advocacy work, uh, we were, as an industry, advocates and organizations like the Human Rights Campaign who track um, corporate America's LGBTQ um, plus um, uh, efforts and, and like grade them on how well they're doing on in inclusiveness and, and representation. They also will look at whether their employment policies include this language. Now, I think they're, the only exception would be a company out there that has not included this. And just like that, that progress was made, EO1 uh, reporting also grew. And like Tara May said, now we have the majority of S&P companies reporting on their EO1 data. EO1 data is critical to investors and stakeholders. It's equal employment opportunity forms that are submitted to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission with a uh, a capture of their of a company's direct workforce and breaking it down by gender, race, race ethnicity, and uh, the, the type of job that they're in and whether they're full-time or part-time. There's a lot of issues with this, with the data in there. Um, it's not complete. It's not panacea, but it's something that investors have been asking for for over 15 years. And look at us now. It's really been a lot of progress. I think disclosure is not going to be the the solution to what uh, what is happening on the ground. But we need disclosure in order to push companies to do the right thing and to make progress on things like on measurable things like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and EO one reports played a huge role in making that happen. Help us understand sort of the importance of this work in terms of who it touches. Who who is impacted by the performance of a pension? Mass Prim has, you know, 300,000 uh, beneficiaries to think about and their retirement money. So very different from, you know, a, a, a more risk-taking shop like a PE shop. Um, there's a reason why Mass Prim is diversified is to manage all these risks across the whole panorama of, it, of the investable universe. Of those 300,000 beneficiaries, you have all walks of life. Really, the beneficiaries are folks who work for the state of Massachusetts. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, those are teachers and uh, sanitation workers and workers across all kinds of uh, industries in Massachusetts. Um, but they have so much more of an impact beyond 
their beneficiaries because of the trillions, I mean, collectively as pensions, trillions manage so much money and have so much voice through those dollars because those big dollars are buying shares in companies. And I'm speaking to public equities right now, but we have, you know, the, the trillions of dollars with this proxy voting power and proxy voting power is when a shareholder resolution is submitted to a company asking the company to evaluate their supply chain for um, human rights issues like the child labor we're seeing in this country um, and all over the world. We want to ask the company to due diligence its supply chain. That ends up as a proposal on the ballot of a company, say Caterpillar, the, the tractor company. Uh, that The outcome of that vote, whether it's in favor or against, that's going to affect folks who are being affected by Caterpillar. What we want is for Caterpillar or any other company to stop human rights violations because we don't want it in our portfolio. So they have the influence to shift how companies behave. And, you know, shareholder resolutions are non-binding documents. Companies don't have to respond, but that is their sharpest tool. And it definitely brings attention through the news outlets when when resolutions are filed. So their decisions have a big impact really all the way down to the front lines where companies are operating. And I feel that's such a helpful example, because as you said, pensioners could be sanitation workers, they could be many many different types of employees of the state uh, in any industry or walk of life, but that individual can't purchase a share of Caterpillar or of Starbucks alone and say, hey, Starbucks, I want you to change your stance on unionization. But when a pension fund decides that they want to change Starbucks' stance on unionization, they can form a coalition and issue that request to the company and have that impact. I think that's a really important point to to drive home. Uh, Tarma, anything you want to add about sort of who pensioners are and look like in the state of New York? Yeah, so the the beneficiaries, our beneficiaries are who powers our city. Um, And so it's giving them security, giving us, because I'm one of them, security for the the rest of our life, basically through a defined benefit promise. And so uh, someone who's starting the workforce today, like maybe an 18-year-old, when that person retires, they might have obligations through 2100, right? At that time, New York City is supposed to have a sea level rise of, of two feet. And we're going to have maybe the heat profile, for example, of Birmingham, Alabama. And so uh, that will cause a lot of volatility in our economy. And so in order to mitigate that, uh, we want to try to decrease our systemic risk from climate change. And so what I'm really proud of, three of our systems have a net zero by 2040 commitment. And so we're asking our entire portfolio of managers to be net zero by 2040 and to submit their transition plan to us or their plan to get there um, by 2025 or 2026, which is really exciting. And so I, I'm really excited about that. I think it's a, it's a hopefully will create ripples in the market and uh, will help decrease systemic risk for everyone. I think in New York City, that's particularly important because our GDP is roughly maybe around the ninth or 10th biggest in the world, right? So if New York City were a country, it would be roughly the nominal GDP of maybe like Canada or Italy. And so 
our impact of, of just being like a financial hub of uh, that uh, impact of experiencing the physical effects of climate change will create instability in the entire financial system. And so knowing that, right, so we have this ob long-term obligation to our beneficiaries. We are a financial hub that is uh, experiencing a place-based risk that is a systemic risk. I think that's a really great way that the pension funds can help uh, move capital in a way that will help decrease that for everyone. So I think that's something that I feel like is hopefully will be a felt impact. To hear the rest of the episode, look for impact, open parentheses, ED, close parentheses, wherever you listen. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Eric, Lucas, Tara May, Marcella, and our producer, Isaac Silk. Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, our free weekly newsletter, directly at impactalpha.com. Or become a subscriber to get full access to our award-winning daily coverage in impact investing and sustainable finance. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm Minnie Gakin, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Be sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.